Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is another read from the Australian Classics Book Club. The Aussie Classics Book Club is an exploration of Australian writing, looking back over the forgotten and the controversial, the much-discussed and underappreciated books in Australia's history. Now, today's book club features Chrissy Neen. She's the author of numerous fabulous titles, including Wintering, Swallow the Sound, and An Uncertain Grace. And together, we will be discussing Linda Javen's 1995 debut, Eat Me. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to the land, stolen land that was never ceded. In Final Draft, we explore the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture. In the Aussie Classics Book Club, well, it's a chance to look back and learn more about that culture and how it influences our reading. In the podcast, you get a chance to hear more of the discussion and dive deeper into the books that you love. If you know someone who loves literature, who loves books, who loves conversation, why not recommend them to the book uh, to the book club. <laughs> Why not recommend them to the podcast? You form a book club. It is a great way to share your love of literature. And just by hitting subscribe, you'll both get a new episode every week to discuss together. Now, Linda Javen's Eat Me draws together four friends in the vibrant heart of inner Sydney. It's the mid-90s. Julia is a photographer, Helen an academic, Chantal a fashion editor, and Philippa a writer. We bounce with them from cafes to pubs and into their bedrooms as they navigate encounters with feckless, fabulous, and flexible men. It is a great erotic romp through friendship, and I invite you to join Chrissy and I as we delve into Linda Javen's Eat Me. It is that time of the month and that time of the year we are in the last Australian Classics Book Club. Now, the Australian Classics Book Club, it is a time for us to look back at great Australian literature, to to discover it, to rediscover it, to recover it. And uh, today I've got, it's a book that I've had my eye on for the book club for years, but pretty much since the book club's inception. It is Linda Javen's Eat Me, and I am joined today by the absolutely amazing Chrissy Neen. Uh, Chrissy, I think I can say by now, is a great friend of the show. We've chatted many times. She is the author of numerous fabulous books, including Wintering, Swallow the Sound, and An Uncertain Grace. Chrissy is a bookseller, and as I found when I was up in Brisbane, if you just, you know, pop by, she might be there recommending books. Uh, Chrissy, welcome, uh, welcome to Final Draft again. Lovely to be here, Andrew. It is great to have you. And um, look, we're going to be discussing Eat Me. Uh, and before before we get to the book proper, can you actually uh, introduce us to Linda Javen? Who is who's, who's Linda Javen? What do we need to know? <laughs> Linda Javen is so many things. Um, she's an amazing person. Uh, she's her writing kind of spans um, the kind of the length and breadth of her incredible brain. Uh, she she speaks. Um, fluent uh, Mandarin and um, she spent a lot of time in China and living in Beijing Um, and she also translates she's worked in translation from um, from you know opera she's translated opera she's translated films she's translated books and she's written her own books in many different genres and when I first met um, Linda I think what struck me about her was her incredible energy she is just like, you know, she's like the ever-ready buddy turned on the whole time. She's just completely wired. Um, and she has this incredible, bright, fire-engine red hair um, and this um, infectious laugh. Um, and she is 
fascinated by life and she just throws herself full bodied into life and I think that's um, that really shows in her writing as well. She's um, an incredibly exuberant writer as well. I, and I think that's my impression of Linda as well. She's come in and we've spoken for Final Draft a couple of times and I think I can say definitely if you've if you've read some of Linda Javen, you've only read some of Linda Javen. The first time I met her, it was to discuss translation for her quarterly essay, Lost in Translation. The next was her uh, incredible knowledge of China for The Empress Lover, and now Eat Me, which is such a revelation that I wish I'd discovered maybe maybe 25 years ago when it came out. <laughs> uh, Eat Me, it draws together four friends in the vibrant heart of inner Sydney in the mid-90s. Julia is a photographer, Helen an academic, Chantal is a fashion editor, and Philip is a writer, and we bounce with them from cafes to pubs and into their bedrooms as they navigate encounters with feckless, fabulous, and flexible men. So I'm, I'm going to start, Chrissy, and you, you, hopefully you'll agree with me. I'm going to put a language and a content warning on today's show because Eat Me, it's erotic fiction, and while it contains some of the most fabulous euphemisms for genitalia that you're ever likely to encounter... <laughs> It's also likely that sensitive young ears will be able to figure out what's going on. So um, so if right now you're listening with Littlies or maybe Conservatives, turn us down for a bit. You can catch up later on the podcast with a glass of wine in a comfy private spot. But uh, we'll give people a turn down. Yep. So everyone who doesn't want to listen has turned down their radio. Uh, and Chrissy, we, you and I, we can talk. Eat me. It's been almost 25 years since its, since its publication. And... Um, so uh, the four protagonists, Julia, Helen, Chantal, and Philippa, they'd, uh, they'd now be sort of in their mid-50s in 2019. But as you, point yeah. Out, yeah, as you point out in your introduction, though, they're still more virile and powerful than many of the, I guess, the more anemic erotic heroes of recent years. So what is it about them? Uh, and, or, or is it us? Have we changed as a society? Well, not changed enough. I think um, they are um, incredibly willing to discuss sexuality without um, without any kind of fears um, of, you know, getting it wrong or um, saying the wrong thing. They're, they're just incredibly honest about their own sexuality, and I think that's the wonderful thing about those characters. They are for very dear female friends, and one of the things about those kind of friendships is that you can be incredibly honest about things and um, not have to double-think everything that you say. And I think that one of the wonderful things that they do is that they discuss their own sexuality and their own um, failings um, in their own kind of what, what they want to be as sexual beings is not necessarily what they are, but they're very honest about that. Um, and I think that that is what makes them so vibrant and alive and um, transgressive, I suppose. It was so wonderful to see it. And it it got me thinking, it definitely got me jealous because uh, if I think sort of as a man and I think about the ways that I talk or, or I don't talk about sex and sexuality with with male friends or just with friends in general, um, we are quantums away from the sort of relationship that's the relationships that are displayed in Eat Me. I mean, I feel like most men need to even begin to think about talking about sex honestly let alone, um, you know, they'd probably need then a good 10 years to get comfortable with that before they could start talking about the idea that they might have failings, that they might have shortcomings, that somehow um, you can then be honest about everything. And and Philippa, Helen, Chantal and Julia, they just, I mean, it got me thinking like... I just I, go there. Yeah. yeah. I read your introduction and it really sort of recentered for me that this is a, 
a very erotic novel because I was I was very much reading the friendship and they don't have to be separate things but um, I, I was so immersed in the friendship that um, I, ha- I had sort of the the erotic scenes really kind of punctuated this for me mm. I, I think you can read it in two ways you know you can come to this book as someone who's interested in in erotica and is, is kind of flipping through for the erotic segments because each of the women tell their fantasies or their realities um, and that's you know it's it's kind of a, a nice game she's playing as to whether things are really happening or whether it's just fantasy as well. Um, but they, they tell these kind of incredibly erotic passages which punctuate the book. So there's, there's a way you could read it where you kind of, you know, um, dog ear the pages on all the sex scenes and just kind of um, flit from sex scene to sex scene and just enjoy it as an erotic experience. But then there's all the other bits, which are the, the female friendships and um, the comedy that's involved in those um, female friendships. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually quite a humorous novel, which is, that's a really hard thing to do, is to write a, a, a funny novel that's actually really solid as well. You would not believe it, though, if you read this, this novel, because it just feels... I, I was already with, a, with a, a place that I wanted to go in the conversation, and then you mentioned the comedy, and I thought, oh, so, so much comedy. And Linda Javen makes it look so easy. Um, she does, she does. And we've got to remember that this was... Um, before Sex in the City, you know, this was pre-Sex in the City. So it's not that it's not like she's had that kind of um, a resource to kind of go, oh, this works. This kind of idea of women talking in a funny way about sexuality. She's kind of coming up with this for herself. Um, so I think that um, it's easy to read this book and and just kind of think of it in um, against its contemporary peers, I suppose. But um, when you look at how much of a um, you know, it was really um, forging new paths and new ways, and it was very radical in in 1995 when it came out. It's something that I mean. I guess even generally, I'd I'd like to suggest to readers from my own experiences when you when you read a book that has come out, you know, maybe a decade or maybe even a generation before your current sort of reading situation, you know, sitting down in your lounge in 2019, is to try and have some of that historical context because it's it's easy to read this and think, oh, well, you know, this isn't in any way groundbreaking. But as you say, in 1995, this would have, well, I mean, you talk in your um, introduction a little bit about the, the splash that this made, particularly overseas. Oh, it's got... It got- um, in the news quite um, in a big way. It was on the front page of the news because um, it had been uh, a book that was uh, in Florida in a place called Marion County. It had been on the shelf in a library, just sitting on the shelf, and some um, punter had borrowed it and then came back to the library complaining about it as pornography and saying you can't have this pornographic content on the shelf. And um, then they eventually um, one of the librarians pulled it off the shelf and so then it became this kind of backlash to censorship um, with people wanting to put it back on the shelf. And and um, eventually it got put back on the shelf. But this was, you know, quite a, um, a serious debate at the time as to whether we should have something as pornographic as Eat Me by Linda Javen on the shelf in this library. And the same thing happened um, with uh, a, a particular um, website, um, Cyber Patrol, which was a net nanny, um, which which banned um, a reference to a launch of it in Haight-Ashbury. Um, and so, you know, there, there were there were groups of people in the US particularly who were really finding this book offensive because 
it, not because it talked about sex, because there was plenty of books that talked about sex, but because it um, reveled in the pleasure of sex. And I think that's where it differed from a lot of other books that talked about sex. It was a book that um, allowed the women to have their own desires and to be incredibly open about that. And they weren't just desires that were about, um, you know, monogamy and heterosexuality. They were desires that were quite radical at the time. Mm, and that, yeah, that thinking about that, the idea that somehow the pleasure of it is where it gets really subversive that people are talking about enjoying something and that's what becomes so difficult. I did just, what do you think that first, that first reader who picked it up off the shelf and said, I'm taking this home and then complained, what did, what? do you think they thought they were getting like eat me as it is at a weird sequel to Alice in Wonderland with the bottle and the little tag like I, I am always surprised by people who go to the effort of consuming art knowing that it, it might potentially offend them and then acting on that offense like instead of engaging with the ideas it's crazy and I suppose some people are looking for that they're just looking for the fight the whole time and had heard that this was a saucy book and then and went in there thinking I'm going to you know I'm going to read this book because I'm going to find it offensive and I can complain about it so there are always people who can do that I think but but I do think it's it really is you know it's that idea that when we you know when we teach sexuality to kids at school when we teach sex um, we don't teach about we don't teach kids about pleasure or finding pleasure from sex we teach about pregnancies we teach about disease we teach about you know um, rape we teach about all these things that are warnings about sex but we never actually teach people about how to accept receive or give pleasure and I think that's um, that's the big line and that's the line that um, that each eat me you know races across mm-hmm. I want to I want to counterpoint that quickly um, with this idea. You know, we teach about the danger, we teach about the violence of sex, um, but the pleasure is what's subversive. I found in my research a fantastic article that you'd written, I think, in two thousand and fifteen, around um, the time of Holly White coming out. What does it take to get banned in this town? Where you 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 do really highlight the fact that we are so. Uh, so inured and inoculated and desensitized to this uh, depictions of war and violence in art that you know you'd never ban a book just for its violence it's it's the sex it's the sex that gets it shrink wrapped it's the sex that gets it taken off uh, and put under the counter yes is it is it it female pleasure is it the empowerment of female pleasure though that's what we're afraid of it is really um it seems to be something that we um, just can't deal with. I mean, I, my my own um, uh, book triptych was um, is still banned on um, the Apple iBook Store and on Google Play, so it's it's not on any on either of those platforms. Um, and I also got kicked out of my PhD um, for doing that project. And it's because um, it was talking about pleasure, and um, it was looking at if you're having a consensual relationship. Then it shouldn't. That's that's all that counts. If you're if there are two consenting parties in a relationship and you're getting pleasure out of it, then it's okay. And people don't like this. People are really connected to the idea that uh, of what sex should be, which is you know within, um, a, 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 if not married, um, a committed coupling of two people and generally a heterosexual committed coupling. And it's, so it's still incredibly radical to um, discuss pleasure outside of that, and and particularly um, female pleasure. I mean, we hear about male pleasure a bit. We hear about, because we have lots of male writers who um, discuss sexuality. So we always see women as the objects 
of the desire. Mm. And so we're quite comfortable with seeing, you know, this longing for this gorgeous young woman. But when you have um, someone like Julia in, um, in this book uh, have a longing for a gorgeous young man and who is actually kind of um, looking at their body in the same way as a man might look at the body of a young woman, that's when we have this disconnect and we suddenly realise we haven't seen women kind of dissecting um, this masculine body in this way and it becomes um, scary for people. So if we can talk a little bit more about this sort of pernicious and limiting and and really worrying um, aspect of the male gaze that somehow sex is reduced and the power of it is is sort of put away in a box because there is this there's this pervasive concern these days that that somehow porn is is ruining sex by creating these increasingly unrealistic and violent expectations particularly of the ways men re- treat women particularly for young men and it really got me wondering about um you know the way we the way we engage with sex now and also in the book the way the four friends talk and engage with each other and that's something that is is missing I guess in in a lot of porn, I'm I'm pretty sure there aren't many conversations where after the fantasy is enacted, people then go through some of the problems, some of the pleasures of of what goes on. But I mean, Helen, Helen is an absolutely fantastic character. Where yeah. even even in the in the middle of the act of sex, she worries about the implications for herself as a feminist for enjoying rough sex. Um, she questions Chantal the, the ethics of having a slave fantasy, and even oh, and this is I'm not going to this is later in the book, and it's not actually Helen, but even the need for having condoms in a fantasy because you don't want to valorize unsafe practices. Helen is an absolutely fabulous person to talk fantasy with. An erotica. She, she is, yeah. I think she's my favourite character, actually. Uh, and I think that a lot of people, uh, a lot of kind of contemporary younger people will probably see themselves um, in Helen because there is this kind of um, need to double-think whether the sex that you're having or the, the initiation to that sex is um, the way you want it to be, I suppose, in, the, in this Me Too era mm-hmm. where... Um, we now are aware that not everybody is on the same page um, with a sexual advance. Um, there is this double thinking of um, of each sexual experience and trying to make sure that um, everybody is is on you know is in agreement and everybody is understanding what's going on in the same way. And I think Helen is doing that, um, you know, and because she's a, a feminist lecturer in this particular. Um, book she she has all that in her head she has all that kind of politics in her head while she's having sex i think young people um these days are often kind of struggling with that struggling with the um the spontane spontaneity that's needed to actually um start a new sexual relationship and the the bravery that's needed to actually um you know to initiate that um i think that that's becoming harder and harder for people because you're double thinking what you're doing the whole time and it's necessary to make sure that you're not that there is consent in each relationship, but um, it's also it also means that there's a kind of you have to kind of stop um, rather than go with the flow of um, the sexual energy that's happening, and that that actually is a challenge, I think. This idea of double thinking everything and and the way we we hear it sort of derided uh, by 
populist conservatives as somehow a meteor that's come out of the sky and, and sort of destroyed the fun in everything. But we see in Eat Me these conversations, conversations around uh, the way we use pronouns, the way we uh, establish consent, the way we actually have discussions about different bodies. I mean, this is 25 years ago and all of the characters talk about it like it's no new thing. It's it's something that is a big part of their lives. And, um, yeah. I mean, if we look back, even our, even our I can't think of a, a, an adjective bad enough, but our, whatever you want to call him, Prime Minister, who would have <laughs> been, uh, I don't even know his exact age, but he would have been of university age when Eat Me came out. He acts yeah. like these conversations are brand new and designed to destroy the world, but they have been going on for his entire adult life. Absolutely. In fact, you know, they've probably been going on since, um, since you know, the first time people ever had sex. I mean, mm. these ideas of... Um, the Scott Morrison that, probably thinks that was his mum and dad, you know, 50-odd <laughs> yeah. <odd> years ago. <laughs> That's true. Look, I, I think that we've always negotiated um, with a partner or mm. partners when we have sex. That's something that just happens naturally. And I think that um, it's something that has been more... Um, we're more open about it in the queer community because mm. um, those consents and those kind of... Um, those needs and wants and desires, um, are, you know, we're, we're very open about the differences um, in our needs and wants and desires. And so that has actually been a very um, constant part of, the, of, of queer sexual culture is that um, negotiating consent. Um, and, but in um, the straight culture as well, there has also been, you know, it's also a dance that we play as to, um, you know, trying to work out what your partner wants and making sure that you are there with them at that point of, of desire and, and what they want. Um, but I think that what's happened is that for, you know, for a long time um, we have discounted or um, not listened to what women want in terms of their desires. And that has been because, you know, uh, we just have been listening to male voices. Mm. Um, and so women have often kind of in heterosexual relationships have kind of... Um, sort of tamped down their own desires and not spoken about their own desires openly within those relationships. And so that's where we have a problem because, um, you know, women are not necessarily as practised at being open about what they want in a sexual relationship because that's been tamped down. And it's been tamped down through popular culture, um, through all our kind of views of, of how we see, you know, um, images of of um, the hot man coming into the room and um, the woman wrestling against him and then, you know, him kind of seducing her with a kiss. You know, this is not how it works in the real world, but it's how it works in on our television screens, you know, and it's still how it works on our television screens. And that's where it all comes apart. There is there is an absolutely fantastic conversation amongst the friends, I think at the later part of the book, where they're discussing the relative, um, how vocal men and women are at the gym versus the bedroom and the idea that everyone has this level of performance and faking it. And you could very easily add uh, in conversations about sex, uh, men will be very vocal at the gym, not in the bedroom or in conversations about sex uh, because there's just this performance and men don't, men don't feel any need or, or see any reason to perform this this care of what their partner wants, it seems, or that, mm. is, that is a part of the problem that we're describing. Mm. And it's you know it's it's still an issue. This stuff. This is where this book is so um, contemporary. Is that these issues are still issues, 
um, and things that she's kind of talking about back in 1995. We're still having these discussions now about, um, you know, how men um, and women uh, differ in their kind of um, discussion of sexuality and their performance. I wondered if I could, Chrissy, to turn us just a little bit to to why these discussions work so well and, and the the literary nature of Eat Me, because, I mean, if I think if it was just a book of erotica, it might not work as well. And if it was just a book of friends talking in cafes, it might not work as well. But the structure of this is, I mean, I, I got to a point about two thirds of the way through the book and I went, hang on, what? Um, and... <laughs> So the book starts with this absolutely fantastic sex scene in a supermarket, which we, we then we then flow onto the four friends discussing it, and then we actually learn that this is the the opening chapter of Philippa's erotic novel, and then we jump back and forth through reality conversations, chapters of the novel. Um, there are there are moments of of pure bizarre intrusion where characters that seem like they shouldn't even exist are able to narrate part of the story and uh, just the recursive nature and the way the story keeps twisting back on itself I think was part of what made it made all of this discussion work for me but uh, what were your thoughts as you read the if you can think back to maybe the first time you read the book or your your reflections on this Chrissy? Yeah I think that the the idea that um, fantasy and reality are so intertwined um, is is something that really kind of um, occurred to me because I was um, reading oh no the name of it. There's a book uh, that was published um, of the, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, um, of women's fantasies. Mm. Um, so it was a, a book of women's fantasies that was published and was, you know, um, everyone was talking about it because um, because the women, uh, their fantasies were sometimes fantasies that we um, keep to ourselves because we think, oh, look, we don't want this to happen to us in real life, so we don't want to say that we fantasize about these things. And for me, um, those ideas that the fantasy and the reality can kind of intertwine and curl around each other is actually um, a genius part of this book because um, you're never quite sure whether you're in the fantasy or whether you're in the reality and um, which is, you know, which is which. And, and within a single chapter, you can kind of be ducking back and forth between somebody's discussion of something that happened in a previous situation to something that's happening right now and that in itself is really interesting that idea that um that we're constantly informed and thinking about previous things and also fantasizing fantasizing about future relationships too at the same time as living our life and i think that that for me that was that structure was really interesting that the kind of intersection between fantasy and reality it, it also felt for me um I mean, if insofar as any of us can properly reflect on this, but in a in sort of a pure sexual moment, you kind of let go of your your narrative bent. You're you're telling a story about yourself, so you necessarily have to go back and and tell yourself a story about who you are and what happens. And so this this moving between fantasy and reality felt like that felt like that play that we all have to make and say, well, how do I reconcile these different selves or are they different selves or am I the same self? Am I telling the story of me and and is that a strange, aberrant chapter? It's, yeah, it, it just, I loved it. I think it's, I might, I'm going to have to go back and read it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's got so many different layers, actually, and I think that each reading of it, you probably come away with um, with something different because... Um, she she very cleverly does this within, of course, the structure of a comic novel. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, we normally think of, I think that we dismiss comedy writing um, as something that, you know, 
books that are funny very rarely win the big prizes. They don't win the Booker Prize. They don't win, you know, the Miles Franklin. It's always the serious works of literature. But comedy is really tricky, and to kind of um, to be as light on your feet with it as um, Linda is in this is is quite rare, um, and it's also incredibly hard to do. Um, and so I think that 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 just holds it all. The comedy holds all those different threads together, um, and the the dialogue is just incredibly sparkling and witty and um and it's it's great you can tell that she kind of has worked across film as well as um as well as books because the dialogue is as sharp as any kind of you know um clever um romantic comedy from the 20s where everyone was very snappy and very very um sparky mm-hmm. great I don't know how much more we should tell people, Chrissy. There is there is so much more to this book. Uh, we've we've only skirted around the surface of the comedy, but I mean, I just I just have to throw in there the moment where in in one of the one of the fantasies that are being articulated, um, the prota- uh, the protagonist of this fantasy ends up uh, in in the UK uh, as a dominatrix for the Conservative Party, and just the line. The Conservative Party can't stand any more scandal as a union jack is being whipped onto the bottom of the Prime Minister. <laughs> How did Linda know twenty five years ago that this was this was what the fantasy we needed right now? I think she has an incredibly big brain and I imagine that she can see into the future. Mm. <laughs> you know, she's been so involved in um in the world of politics and in other people's, you know, other um, uh, uh, the politics of other nations, I think that um, she's she kind of realizes that um, that this is this is what we need. And I'm pretty sure that that was the scene that got her um, banned um, from Cyber Patrol too. I think because oh. she turned up with a um, she turned up with a whip at her um, book reading, and I think that it was it, it was actually that idea that kind of got her banned. So yeah, I mean she's 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 crazy. She's crazy, but mm. she's um, yeah, she's so so much fun. Everything about this book is so much fun. I actually kind of want to take it back. I just I realised as I was saying that that we now have pre- predominantly across the Anglosphere leaders who would fit into that scene, but actually be enjoying it and egging it on. It wouldn't. It probably wouldn't work in the way that it worked twenty five years ago. That you could somehow shame conservatives. They just the current the, I, the current messy yeah. crop of hair. Yeah. I know it's yeah. You seem to be able to kind of get away with anything at the moment. Mm. Um, I, I think um, yeah, it's we're in a particularly strange period of time, and I think that it's got to come to an end sooner or later because you know people. Um, yeah, it just it just feels like we've got this kind of wave of conservatism that's sweeping across the world, and it's not. It's going to get worse before it gets any better. So you know, I think we do need to. We do need to treat it with a lightness of touch because otherwise we just fall down the rabbit hole. Mm. The antidote may just be, as we've we've kind of hinted, that you know, go out, get your partner, get your friend a copy of Eat Me for Christmas. It's it's maybe um maybe the maybe the conversation starter over Christmas lunch that everyone needs as we we head into that uh, that silly season. <laughs> yeah, do it for book club. Do it for, yeah, do it for your book club. <laughs> We are discussing Linda Javen's Eat Me. I'm joined by Chrissy Neen. Chrissy, it's as always, it's fabulous. This is such a great book. I'm so glad you wrote the introduction and we got the chance to um to discuss it together. It's been really great fun. 
That's it for this great conversation in the Australian Classics Book Club. I want to thank Chrissy Neen for joining me to discuss Linda Javen's Eat Me. And this was our last Australian Classics Book Club for the year, but don't worry, there is still more new Australian writing coming up on the show in December. And of course, there is a collection of the classics for your listening pleasure available on the Great Conversations podcast, so subscribe today. If uh, if you are subscribing, if you are enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating? Uh, just one of those five-star ratings will help other people discover fabulous Australian books. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SCR's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You'll find us at the handle at Final Draft 2 scr Click subscribe in your podcast app. It means a new Great Conversation every week, even over summer. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more Great Conversations from Final Draft. Until then, happy reading.